Welcome. You're listening to Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, the podcast that pulls back the curtains in your mind. We like to shed a little light on why you're thinking what you're thinking. Everyone has a choice in life, in what and how they think. Together, we're going to focus on high-functioning habits. There is no more time to live with any sort of regret. Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, the inspirational podcast for the inspired. Let's get into today's show with your host, Shelley R. Shearer. Hello, world. Shelley Rose Shearer here, and welcome to the show. Today's special guest is Dr. Brian Russell, PhD. He is an award-winning professor of biblical studies at Asbury Theological Seminary and a transformational coach for pastors and spiritually-minded professionals. He's also an ordained minister and has served faith communities in Kentucky, Virginia, and Florida. His personal mission is to seek out, study, and embody the deepest truths about God so that he can share them compellingly, lovingly, and transformationally with others. He is the author of three books, Invitation, a Bible study to begin with, Realigning with God, Reading Scripture for for Church and World, and his latest book, Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life. And for you podcast lovers, he is also the host of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. Dr. Brian, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Shelley. It's so great to be here. And hopefully we can serve you and and your guests. Thank you. I really look forward to uh, touching base with you. Spirituality, well, religion was something I was raised with. Spirituality is something I grew into. I always like to say that Um, because they're not always the same thing. And you've had a unique journey and you've got your books and I can't wait to get into your latest one. Tell us a little bit about your story and what brought you here. Yeah, thank you so, uh, so much. Yeah, and I guess I can almost say it's been the same sort of experience for me because I, I grew up in the church and I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm still a Christian, but in a sense, what's changed for me is my a perception of really how big God is. And so it really is, God is more than just religion. God is about deep spirituality. And that came to me uh, unexpectedly. It was, it's it ends up being a gift now. It's been 11 years from what I'm going to talk about, but basically what, what happened to me that really jarred everything is I'm, I'm 41 years old back in 2010. I'd been married at that point for, for 20 years. And, uh, it's almost like I woke up and found out that um, my former spouse didn't want to be married anymore. And again, this isn't about her. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, But so I end up being a a single parent at, um, at, at the age of 41. I'm like I said, I was, you said I was an ordained pastor and I still am. I'm a seminary professor and those things aren't supposed to happen to an ordained pastor and a seminary professor. And so it put me in this terrifying position of thinking I'm going to lose everything, uh, losing my marriage and maybe losing my kids and maybe going bankrupt. I may be losing my job because I don't Mm -hmm. know if they're going to keep a a divorced seminary professor and will anybody ever want to hear me talk about God since I couldn't even keep my own family together. And so I was terrified. I was overcome with fear, shame, guilt. Mm. And one day, one of my friends was just, and I was right in the middle of of just the whole mess that uh, divorce is. And they said, look, Brian, you sound like you're losing your mind. And I probably was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I go out for a walk. I live in Orlando and, you know, great, great, uh, the the beautiful thing about Orlando, it's nice almost year round. Um, Even when it's the coldest, you can still go outside. It's the sun pops out, it warms up. And so I'm out, this has been a spring day of in 2011, now early in 2011. And I'm, I'm walking and this day I didn't take a, 
well, it would have been, I guess I didn't have an iPod at the time that I, I didn't wear it. So I'm just out walking and I had this just incredible experience in the split moment, a split second, felt like the whole world froze. And I remember hearing a bird and suddenly I kind of look up and everything kind of went from black and white to color. And I sensed in my soul, I don't think it was an audible voice that God was saying to me, Brian, there's enough. I'm enough. And you're fully loved. And so that, that moment was, it didn't fix everything, but it awakened me to this deeper reality behind my pain, um, behind all reality that God mm-hmm. was still radically for me. And I knew at that moment I was going to make it through this. And so what I did, I mean, in my own upbringing, hadn't prepared me for that. I'm a, a Bible professor. So obviously right. I've spent a lot of time reading scripture. And that was the whole thing when I was going through this experience of divorce. I couldn't pray. Um, I, if I would go to a worship service, I couldn't sing. And it literally mm. took me several years before I was able to sing again. Um, reading the Bible didn't do anything for me. And I was essentially unconsolable by all my pastor friends. And, he, you know, so it's like it almost took God showing up in my life <laughs> to wake me back up. Right. And again, it didn't fix everything, but that led me on this journey to I'm like, wow, if that happened when I was walking, what have I missed out of in my own spiritual practice? And that led me to begin uh, really experimenting for me with um, meditation. And I'd always been a journaler, but I started doing some intentional, deeper journaling. And these, I found out these were basically deeply rooted Christian practices that were outside of my faith tradition for whatever reason. And so that was the pivotal moment that basically now it's 2021 when we're having this conversation and I write a book on centering prayer, which is essentially Christian meditation. Um, That was the point that my life changed, even though I was in this dark rut and I didn't get out of it right away. I found the very things that my soul needed. And so, you know, looking back, I can say, wow, uh, centering prayer and journaling about my inner life transformed me and opened me up to encounters with the divine that were way deeper than I knew pre-divorce, even when I was a pastor and when I started teaching. And this has put me in a position now where, um, like I'm on your podcast. I mean, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be here if this wouldn't all happen to me. And even teaching my teachings never been better. I'm more connected with students. Um, I'm remarried and my second marriage has just been a total blessing, which doesn't always happen to people. So I'm super grateful for that, that I was able to do enough work that I was able to attract a really wonderful woman in my life. That uh, Oh, I got to stop. I got to stop you there. You said I did the work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I just don't want our listeners to miss that because, you know, what you're talking about right now is you came to a, like maybe a fork in the road or you felt like there was a wall in front of you and God's like, OK, I just need to smack him a little bit or give him a little writing on the wall. I used to be my joke when I was younger. If we could just have the writing on the wall like the Old Testament, <laughs> it would be so much easier. But everything's about the lesson and what we learn. So the fact that you went into a second marriage so often with psychology, we repeat the same mistakes over and over when we leave marriages, that was not the case here. You did the work. So you became a better version of you and attracted someone. Yeah. And and I, you know, and and, yeah. And thanks for even interrupting me because I, because it's like, I did, I added these, you know, it's still amazing. Like I use the image of um, 
like from my old faith, even though mm-hmm. I almost felt like I lost my faith, I always said, and this will resonate with in Canada, this is more of an Ohio thing, not a Florida thing, but it's like, I, I feel like I chopped a bunch of wood my whole life and I mm-hmm. had a wood pile behind the house and I went through this long winter and when it was over, I still had a piece of wood behind the house. So I had charged up enough pre-divorce that sustained me when I wasn't chopping any wood. Right. And then the mindsets that I put on, I think this will be really helpful for people. And it's almost, and I still kind of scratch my head and I'm super grateful. It's like, even when this happened, I decided this wasn't going to be the defining end of me at 41, even though at the time I'm thinking, man, I'm too old for this. Um, but, but I thought to myself, I'm going to get on the other side of this and I'm not going to be a bitter guy that dislikes women. I'm going to be a better man. And then the other thing is I prayed this, even though I was struggling with my faith, I just prayed to the Lord, um, God, bring all the darkness out of me into your light so that I can be healed. Mm-hmm. And again, if and I'm not going to go into the whole story of the divorce, but I mean, at some level, it's, it was easy to just put the blame on the other person. And a lot of people, that's what they wanted to do. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to forgive 100% my, my former spouse. And I'm just going to say that's a hundred percent my fault so that I can do the work on myself yes. so that I can be better at the end. If I take, Oh, poor Brian, then nothing changes, no. but Victim whatever gets us nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Whether it was 1% my fault or a hundred percent, I said, it's a hundred percent on me. And, uh, you know, um, and, and that's, that was, I'm so grateful that I was able to at least think that way. It sounds brutal, but that's what actually, open me up to change. I think taking ownership, I know my listeners know my stories and just to be quick, the last couple of years, I've done a lot of work with my family because we, we have a very dysfunctional relationship, but the day I owned it all and said, no more victim, it doesn't work out fairly. If it doesn't work out the way I wanted, if I don't have the relationships I crave, it's irrelevant. This is on me. This is my work. And I just moved on. And then over the two years I watched the people in my family around me change. It was like, wow, what happened there? And, you know, my coach told me, but I really wasn't sure I believed him. (laughs) It's like, no, I I think more needs to change. It's still their fault. And it's still, no, when you can sit in your own power and your own responsibility, I feel that really changes a lot of dynamics and opens a door. You talk about centering prayer and where does that term actually come from? Yeah, because I've yeah. never actually heard that actual term before. And then talk to our audience about how it can actually change your life. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, it's centering prayer itself. The word language comes from like around 1970, but it's rooted in a thousands of years of Christian silent meditation. But the word centering prayer comes from, it comes out of the Roman Catholic tradition, essentially. There was a group of, um, of monks um, Thomas Keating, uh, other monk's name was Meninger, and there's a couple other ones. And they noticed back in right around 1970 that a lot of priests and even Catholics were being attracted to some of the new age meditation that came into the um, United States right around mm-hmm. that time, like transcendental meditation. And, and these guys had been monks in monasteries and are like, well, geez, you don't have to go down to the TM teacher, we'll teach you how to do this. And so they came up with a method. And I think the 20 minute suggestion even comes off of a response to other traditions, but they basically just decided they call it centering prayer in, okay. in the in the form of meditation. This is 
uh, is um, you take a, you, you pick a sacred word. Like mm -hmm. I, you know, as a Christian, I just say Jesus, but you could use love or peace yeah. or thank you. You just want a short word. And you use that word essentially to recenter yourself every time, which will be most of the time you realize when you're sitting in silence that you're actually thinking, feeling, mm -hmm. imaging something. So it's, it's not a mantra like you would find in like, say, transcendental meditation that you repeat over and over, but you take your sacred word. And again, when you realize you're in a thought, you just sort of gently release the thought by saying your word. So that's where the centering word oh. comes from. Yeah. Oh, so it's the word that's the center. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. it, it recenters you on your intention to sit in silence with God. And so like if people like those are listening, you may be familiar with like mindfulness based meditation, uh, which, you know, that's that's, you know, that's like a, comes out of a Buddhist tradition, which there's nothing wrong with it. I've actually done it. But that's where you you use your breath going through your nose to mm -hmm. sort of recenter you. So it's similar to that, except in this case, you're using a word in your mind. You don't focus on the breathing with centering prayer. You sit in silence. And just like in um, mindfulness, if you realize you're in a thought, you just go back to your breath. In centering prayer, you use your prayer word to break up the thought stream, essentially. Okay. Because you're, it's interesting you should say that because my go to word is always Father. Yeah, it's great. Because well, that's perfect. I, I was raised in a full gospel church, you know, with Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and, you yeah. know, infilling of the Spirit. And the Trinity was huge. It wasn't one little bit and then sub, it was all of it taught very strongly. And it's habitual, sure. I understand that that probably is it, but it is always my go to word. Even when I'd stepped back many years ago and then stepped back into spirituality and wasn't sure about the religion part of it, it was always very hard to just consider it all the universe, which is the kind of the, layman's term now you know god universe call it what you want for me it's always father no and, and that's the, and that's the critical distinction between centering prayer that makes it like like christian and again i'm not going to criticize other religions at all yep. but the, but the, the whole thing is just like you said if you're if, if 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 the christian faith is true we believe in a personal god and so right. when we sit in silence we're not just sitting with ourselves or with the unnamed kind of universe we're, we're, right. we're actually intentionally sitting with a god who loves us who's outside of creation and so you know father's a perfect word jesus you know what yeah. so it's that's the idea that our intention is to sit with the god who is there in silence and that centering word brings us back to that intention. Mm, okay. That's excellent. And why do you think that is so important in the 21st century? Well, I think because, because silence teaches us, right? I mean, what's so fascinating is, um, you know, I, I do a lot of reading in um, ancient practices. And what's funny is these folks thought they had to go out into the desert to find peace. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking like, what was so distracting like 2000 years ago, right? It's, <laughs> you know, so if they needed to escape when, what was the, I mean, there's no distract, there's not even electricity to have light at night. Right. So right. they needed to take time to, um, reconnect with God. Mm -hmm. Um, the 21st century, it's absolutely critical because, you know, we're continuously invited into these almost trance-like states where, you know, you're looking at your phone 5 million times a day yeah. or, and, you know, you're never not connected with other people. And so yeah. our souls absolutely need silence because it's in the silence. And, you know, and I could tell that you've experienced this. I mean, you have to encounter the truth about yourself, but mm -hmm. both the hard truth and also the beautiful parts and when we're utterly distracted, all you end up with is anxiety, fear, guilt, and shame. And it's in the silence 
that, you know, like I like to say, you know, I didn't find silence. Silence found me. And in the silence, mm. I rediscovered the God who's really there. And that changes everything. So I would say we needed even more in the 21st oh, century than you know, again, everybody needs it, but it's like, it's just crazy that these things come out of the ancient world where what was bothering them back then, right? It's <laughs> so, a very valid point. Now, granted, maybe busy households, I don't know, but you're, you're right. And in, in the Old Testament, it's a huge part of separating, taking yourself apart, God calls it, you know, yeah. being apart from everything. And the fact that you mentioned the anxiety and everything, well, what's running rampant in our world right now? Yeah, it's insane. I was, you know, it's just Halloween and and we have acreage here where we've got a fire pit and some of our close neighbors came over. And one of my girlfriends who I hadn't seen in a number of months, she is almost experiencing debilitating anxiety right now. And I was like, what is going on? This is not like you because she's normally very quite carefree, new full-time job. You know, she was home with the kids for a lot of years, working part-time. Now it's full-time the last number of years, new job, everything with the COVID stuff. It just all, it just was now it was more than she could deal with. And we always joke with her because when it comes to electronics, she's a troglodyte. So she's not even living on social media and she's still finding the world overwhelming. And with the kids nowadays and everything, it's like a device is in front of them constantly. So I had a great guy in my podcast back in the spring, um, Johanna from Tech Breakup that talks about tech and it's place in society and its place where it needs to be put away. I took myself on Facebook for the summer. I literally couldn't, my spirit could not handle the conflict 24 seven that was coming through that platform. I sorry, is the word I'm looking for. I literally couldn't handle it. Well, the only thing that I have control over is me. So I removed myself from it. Missed a couple of friends' birthdays felt bad, but you know what? I was losing my mind in July, in June. So it was like, we need to take that time. And like you say, in the 21st century, it's pretty, pretty scary. Now, something I want to ask you about, because, because we're both Christians and have a very strong religious background, and that's always been, you know, I talk about it on my podcast very openly that, you know, I've, I walked away and then I came back and I'm very much about spirituality and hands-on. God helps those who help themselves a little bit at an attitude that I'm not sitting praying over a dying plant. I'm watering the plant and thanking God for the plant. <laughs> I just, I see, you know, little hands-on there. So how can we stop ourselves? Because you mentioned the shame and stuff over the divorce. And I, I do remember that. And the thing is with our age bracket, and I'm a little bit older than you, but still you go back to the 80s and 90s. Well, divorce, especially in the church, was not acceptable. I wasn't allowed to teach Sunday school any longer. Um, My parents, you know, disowned me for a small period of time. I was a divorced woman. Oh, my goodness. There are a lot of toxic beliefs and false ideas about God that Mm -hmm. some religions have perpetuated. Some of it's just our own piety and our own narrow mindedness. Talk to us. Give us your thoughts on, on that particular area. Yeah. Well, yeah. And again, that's a big question. So I may not Nothing gonna, like putting you on the spot. Sorry. No, no, no. It's no, it's fine. I want to make sure I'm actually answering the question when okay. I start. I, I would say um, the biggest challenge uh, for most people in their relationship with God is um, we try to essentially comprehend God with our minds. And so mm-hmm. most theology and it's, it's just, it's, it's all very rational, which we need. I mean, and again, meditation, journaling, solid solitude practices don't replace reading the scriptures, you know, using regular prayers with words yeah. like the Lord's prayer or even extemporaneous prayers. But the danger with all that 
even in the most well-meaning situations, is we can make the mistake of thinking that our highest thoughts about God actually capture the totality about God. Mm. And I think that's where we run into problems. And in, because when in, in you know when you get into these deeper spiritual practices, like my like the, the very moment that I had that experience, it's like, you know, at some level, the God that I believed in would have been mad at me, disappointed with me, at least in my mind, of that's what it would have been, right? But instead, at the lowest point of my life, I feel completely loved because that's because God is love. And we know the scriptures even teach that. So at some level, I think we sometimes mistakenly try to play God and make judgments about other people. Now, again, the scriptures has some clear teachings on things. So I'm not, I don't want the listeners to think that, you know, oh, anything goes or whatever. It's all airy fairiness. No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Because God is holy and God Mm -hmm. is loving. But the thing that we miss sometimes is that, you know, I legit deep in my heart believe that God wants every single person on earth to actually open themselves up to God's love and that God is radically for everyone. But the problem is most of us, we just close ourselves down to some small God. And so these deep practices, especially sitting in silence, what it does is it forces you, it forces your limited understanding of God. Um, it, it deconstructs it. And here's the beautiful thing is it, it replaces that with a bigger, more beautiful, robust, and I would say even more fully biblical view of God that allows us then literally to see other people. Because like when I see myself, like I always tell people, um, and, and I have to always be careful how I say this, but like I've grown deeper in my faith than I ever have in the past, but it's simultaneously I feel less holy than I used to think I was. And it's not because, (laughs) yeah. And it's not because I'm somehow more sinful than I used to be. It's that my vision of God has gotten so big that it's like, you know, we both wear glasses and I know this is people see this when they see the video, but it's like my glasses look fine until I put them up to the light and then they don't look so good. And I'm thinking like, the, you know, the, 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 again, they illustrate the problem that you just asked me about. It's like most of us go through the world just wearing glasses that are super dirty mm-hmm. and we don't know it because we've made God in our own image where when we fully open ourselves up, God, whose light is inviting us to like, let's compare ourselves to God. And, you know, in that encounter, you feel, you realize, yeah. but my, two of my favorite prayers that I think capture, um, the, the issue that you're getting mm-hmm. at is like, is one's the Jesus prayer. And this is another prayer that goes back. This goes back to say 400 AD and maybe in okay. and it's, and it's based off of scripture. It's simply this um, it's Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the, you know, I would say that's the classic Genesis three prayer where we recognize that we're lost and we need God's grace. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the church just stays with that. And that is mm-hmm. the gospel that Jesus came and died for our sins and all those sorts of things. So we're always going to need that prayer because it reminds us no matter how far we've gone on our journey, we always need grace. Yes. But, but the thing that I think's changed for me, and this is where we miss, because if you just stick with the Jesus prayer and we become the enforcers of it. We're always judging other people for how yes. they need grace, right? Yes. Now, the trick is, is pray that prayer and own it, that I'm always going to need God's grace. And then this other prayer is more modern. It comes from a, a, a spiritual teacher. I think she was a Roman Catholic spiritual director. Her name was Macrina Viterkare. 
And this is a prayer. It almost sounds like a trick if you're not ready for it, but she would always have people pray in addition to other prayers, but, Mm -hmm. um, Oh God, help me believe the truth about myself, no matter how beautiful it is. Oh, I like that. It's a trick, right? You didn't know what I was. so, so, So you take those two prayers and I would say the Jesus prayer, which we need, reminds us of our need for grace. That reminds us of what happens in Genesis 3 with the serpent and yep. all that kind of stuff. But that v- that other prayer takes us back to Genesis 1, where it reminds us that God created each one of us in his image. Or a Psalm 139, that I'm exactly. fearfully and wonderfully made. And we need both of those pieces in our life. And I think that's the mistake that most of us make. We either have, okay, God, we're, we're just fine. We're, everything's beautiful. Or we think we're hopelessly sinners. And the reality right. is we're both. We need God's grace, but there's wonderful things in every single one of us that God wants to bring out. And so, I mean, to me, that's what spiritual formation really is. And, and when we make mistakes about religion, it's because we don't get both of those two pieces in the tension right. that they need to be in. Oh, I love that description. That's fantastic because um, I've mentioned this before, but you know, I was raised in the Pentecostal church, full on Holy Rollers up here yeah, in Canada, yeah, in Canada, yeah. in the States. I think it's church of God is kind of like the equivalent of you guys yeah, down there. Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee. Or, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then my husband's Catholic. Ah. So I will never forget. And my grandfather being a minister was a traveling minister. So he is the hellfire and brimstone evangelistic preacher. Yeah. He was a sight to see. Okay. That man would dance, you know, he would jump off the platform. He was hilarious. I loved you. You just, it's like, oh, the energy was amazing. But my husband who comes into my church when we were dating left there and goes, I want to kill myself. That was the most depressing <laughs> oh, hour of my life. And I'm looking at him because I was raised with it. And to me, it was just all normal. He says, do you guys preach anything? But and it wasn't my grandfather speaking that day, but I just was mentioning it because the theme is the same. Yes. So often, so many of us get really caught up in the God is the wrathful God, the anger God, the punishing God. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, and whoa. I'm really starting to wonder how much of that was translation and how much of that is partial reality. I can understand the chastisement and our needing to grow, but the Bible is so full, like you say, of God is love. We are to love one another as God loves us. And yet that tends to be for a lot of religions put on the sideline. And I think that there's just no balance. Right. And that's what we're talking. I mean, God is love and in you know, deeper levels of faith, God wants to take us from like, basically, if you're just afraid of God, which there is an element to that because God is bigger than us. Of course. God is perfect and all those things. But if you just have the faith that like the, the ancient writers would call that the, yeah, the, they just have fear. It's that's the faith of a slave or faith yes. of a servant. And the reality is, uh, Shelly, and I think you've experienced this and, and this is God wants us to know that we're his daughter, his son, his beloved. That's and when right. you enter into that level of spirituality, um, you know, you haven't lost the fact that, wow, you know, I need God's grace, but we relate to God. And I love, you know, your prayer word father, you know, it's not judge, it's not tyrant, it's not angry teacher, it's father in the sense that a loving father who wants the very best for, you know, his children, right? I mean, that's, 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 that's what God wants for all of us. No, I, I agree. And I have to say that coming into my later life, you know, when I first started the podcast five and a half years ago, I really questioned, I was in finance for, for 28 years. 
what? I'm middle-aged. I'm way too old for this. And I remember my coach is giving me a smack going, you were called here. And now God doesn't care your age. This is, you know, this is where we are in the world today. You just happen to be 50 when you're doing it or 51 when you're doing it, moving along. And I think that acceptance of, of all of it is so very important. So my next question to you about how, as Christians, do we screw up the meanings of, the, of, of passages so consistently? I was going to say all the time, but it happens all the time. And I'm dying to ask the question because of this for myself. When I made the choice to reconnect and really start aligning my new belief structures, my broader belief, my broader awareness back to the scripture, it's really funny how now when I read the Bible, I'm like, oh, that scripture is still true for me with my new awareness. When I was younger, it was very black and white and maybe a little heavy hand, a little bit of judgment. God is, you know, black. but now it's like, oh, there's more here. And there's more that God wants for us. And it's funny that you mentioned earlier, God's infinite, but we're finite. This body just has an 80 to 100 year life cycle. Our spirit is as God, but this body isn't. So we're trying to understand something vast in the universe with our little bit of narrowing knowledge over here. So what is your opinion on why people just have such diverse opinions on what a scripture means? No, no, that is, I mean, that, that's your, you're asking the right person because it's, because I mean, that's what I teach. You know, I teach interpretation to pastors. That's what my, you know, when I'm as a professor, we teach that's, right. um, that's, that's, I thought that's exegesis, anybody to interpretations. Ask. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, the, the reality is, um, again, yeah, this is, I'll try to, I'm trying to make this, I'll make this as simple as I, as I can, but it's even, this isn't going to be that simple. It's like, the reason is we all have a tendency when we read something to read it through the filters that we personally have. Right. Right. And so the fact that I'm a man that I grew up in Ohio, that, uh, uh, you know, I have a certain, I'm like, I have a working class background. I grew up in the Methodist church. You just start listing out all the things that put you in a location. All of those things are both positive and negative for reading the Bible, because what that does, it lets me see things in the Bible that are actually there and are true. But the very fact, my all my experiences also distort things in the Bible. Okay. So you and my myself, like if we, we could do a Venn diagram on almost any text and, you know, we're reasonably intelligent persons. We live in the Western world. We're both North mm-hmm. Americans. We, could, we would have a lot of overlap when we read a text that if we brought a person in, say, that grew up, um, you know, let's say we, 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 we brought a person and it grew up, I'm just going to pick a country, Jordan in the Middle East, okay. and let's say they grew up, um, it's, it's a female and a Muslim, and that's their background. Now, mm-hmm. when we read the text, they're going to, or when, if we'd all read the text together, they're going to import all their Middle Eastern traditions, which might give them more insights into the customs in the Bible, but they're also going to filter in, you know, Islam and um, these other yeah. pieces um, in there as, as, as well. And so it's social location. Now it's, and it's not just that simple. Then you gather in groups of people that tend to think alike. Right. And so it becomes um, interesting. Like attracts like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of how denominations get born. Mm-hmm. Now that sounds pretty cynical and I don't want it to come off that way, but it's a way to understand it. And yeah. so the, the key then for us, if we want to think about how do we get it right then is it's important to be open-minded in the sense that I recognize that I'm reading the text in 2021, the Bible, Mm -hmm. um, and 
I am going to be able to see true things in it. But if I want to get the full story, I need to make sure I'm reading and having conversation partners outside of maybe my geographical area. What like that? Um, outside of, you know, like I'm I'm a Protestant. I'm, you know, I'm in the mm-hmm. Methodist tradition broadly. So I need to make sure I read some Roman Catholics when I have time. I need to read glo- people from the global church. What yeah. are what are my brothers and sisters in Africa saying about this text? What did the ancient church say about that? Put that all kind of in this mm-hmm. um, you know, conversation table and recognize that that's going to get me closer to the truth. And then I also have to just realize that certain parts of the Bible are complicated and not obvious, whereas other parts are more obvious. And so, um, you know, like, like, for example, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten yeah. son that whosoever, you know, believe in him yeah. should not perish, but everlasting life. That's pretty clear. Pretty simple. Yeah, I'm with you. Even the Ten Commandments are pretty simple. Do yeah. or don't. Yeah. And then there's the rest of it. Yeah. So and, and so like I teach big frameworks for the Bible, like the big story, like my older book, Realigning with God, I mean, or Invitation. Both of those books mm-hmm. give the whole broad story. And so it's important also to always not take any one text uh, without seeing the whole Bible. And yeah. so it's, it's this give and take. And so that, that's where people get into trouble. They assume a certain text is the final word right. and then read the other parts through that. So can, I don't know if I'm answering your question. I'm getting, that's, oh, you that's are, a couple, absolutely. couple of ideas about it. I think. Out of context. Yeah. 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 You know um, I saw, I saw a, a, a meme the other day and it was like two army people and they've got a gun slung over their shoulder and there's a, a man on his knees and they're giving him water. And it was, they were making fun of the media, but the bottom line is we do it in light. If the camera was all they could see was the gun over his shoulder was angled this way at the guy. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. all they see is them holding a gun to the guy. And it's like, they're, they're saving him. The big picture looked very different than the small frame. And, you know, I was very lucky when I was younger, although we had a lot of black and white because of the Pentecostal church was, do not take things out of context and do not pull one scripture out and create a whole religion around it because that's not God and God's intention there. I always find the, their lessons. You know, I, I love the parables personally because I taught Sunday school for so many years and I loved teaching the kids and parables in the stories of the Bible were my favorite. And so that served me well when in my late twenties, early thirties, I took this course and it talked about the filters. It was nothing to do with religion that we just see the world through period. Yeah. How were we raised? You know, I just thought it weird when I was a young adult, why people didn't have dress clothes when they went out. And my mom would say, honey, you need to show grace there. One, not everyone can afford it. And then I realized later church was actually why I had dress clothes because Mm. we didn't go to church without having a dress on and dress shoes. Like we just didn't back then, you know, I'm talking 50 years ago. So there was a need in my family upbringing for dress clothes. There are lots of people that go through life in their family for 20 years that have, they have casual lifestyles. They don't go to church. They'd have no need for anything but jeans and t-shirts. All of these socioeconomic, religious, contextual things, the filters, all color how we see and believe what we read and hear. So for me, religion is no different than that. And it's just, for me, it's just fascinating. It's always just what more is there? That's kind of how I approach things. No, it's, it's so good. And, you know, and, and like the, one of the things I always tell, um, you know, folks, it's if, 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 if Christianity at its core is about Jesus and the cross, 
it's always important to look at yourself and say, when people encounter me, if I'm trying to embody the gospel, what does a person have to become to be able to hear and understand the good news from me, right? So if they have oh, to wear like dress clothes, right? So it's so because the whole thing is if if people, not everybody wants to become a Christian, but if they if a person doesn't want to become a Christian, it needs to be because they disagree with Jesus somehow, and not mm-hmm. just with the way I live. And that and that's that's the challenge, right? And oh. so that gets so that gets to your question about interpretation. Yes. And then I'd also say the. the centering prayer practice and even a good deep journaling practice, it strips away the junk in your life that probably causes you to distort how you relate to other people, period, Mm -hmm. and also how you would even read the Bible. Okay. But but it's really kind of true in everything in life though, isn't it? Absolutely. You yeah. know, I, I'm big on audible and the self-help and the realization. I just, you know, the power of, of, of um, uh, being present and things like that has changed my life. But I always tell people when I recommend a book, you don't have to agree with it. hundred percent, take out what you need, but that doesn't make all the rest of it wrong or bad. It's just, it wasn't for you. It's, yeah, it's good. You know, the Bible is a little bit different. Um, but I think, again, we see so much of it through filters and preconceived notions of fear and judgment. Like you said, when you got divorced, you felt shame. Well, I did too. And now my parents there, we are, my son was born in 87. So 1985, I am a, my parents who were like pinnacles of the church. My dad's a deacon, he's lead song service, and he now has a divorced daughter. They couldn't handle it. His pride could not handle the fact that he had failed. Like, I'm a grown adult. I went out and made mistakes. But he took them personally. So that black and white of, you know, granted, you talk about the lessons you learned 20 years later in your new marriage. When my sister had her kids and some of them rebelled a little bit, the family handled it much better. We alert the lesson. And I think that's really important is to take the lesson out of it. Do you, do you feel that Christianity very much is the same deal. Cause I'm going to ask you, since we really kind of deep dived into a lot of the Christian spirituality, just not in general, so many people want to know what God's will is for their lives. Yeah. And they, they get lost. That's, I'm just going to leave it at that and let you answer it. They get lost. What is your, what is your thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, um, the mistake most people make thinking about God's will is they, everybody assumes it's some really narrow path that if I just veer off the wrong, take a step the wrong way, I'm out of God's will. And that's a disservice. Now, you know, people can have unique callings for a season, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, but the, the truth of the matter is saying what God's will is, is actually pretty easy. So I can literally tell everybody right now what God's will for their life is. It's, it, and it, this comes straight out. This is what the entire Bible's about. It's about um, loving God mm-hmm. um, and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. So we could say, in a sense, God's love for every single or God's will for every single one of us is to grow f- for all eternity into persons that more fully embody love as the oh. underlying principle, right? And, and so, and I, I firmly believe that. And so, my job then, and one of my mentors, um, Dr. Bob Tuttle, um, he just always said uh, the key to life is show up, pay attention, and remember that God has way more invested on in what's going on than you do. And so, if I just 
open myself up to God's love and allow that to transform me and just be a loving presence. Mm -hmm. I'm doing God's will, whether I'm uh, a barista at Starbucks, um, a pastor, a professor, a life coach, an author, uh, a factory worker, a parent, um, that that's that is what God's will is, and if you can just imagine then that our that the joy of living is becoming the person that God created us to be, a person that love, and each of us has like unique gifts, and just mm-hmm. allowing that gift to come out in loving service of other people, we're doing God's will, and and you know sometimes it takes a lifetime to figure out what that gift might be, but that's what God's will is for everybody that's listening. It's not like oh I missed it because I didn't do this twenty years ago. No. You can step into that life anytime you want to. That's exact sentence I had in my head as you said it. You can step into that anytime and then you repeated it. I love that definition because it's like um, finding your passion. It's like, no, I take my passion everywhere I go. If I'm going to do something, I do it with the passion that is Shelley Rocher. And God's will, I think, is the same. But we all think it's got to be this thing. Like you say, there are callings. And I love that you said for a season. We also get stuck sometimes on the treadmill thinking it will never, ever change. But I've been called to numerous things throughout my life. I'm grateful for the experiences, but that's not my calling now. And I've I've let it go. But it doesn't change the fundamental part of my walk with the Lord. That's good. That's right. It's exactly right. I really like how you described that. I'll just start with this quotation, then I'll, I think I'll get back to what I was about to say. But like one of my favorite quotations about really God's will comes from the early churches. Uh, uh, one of the early church leaders' names was Irenaeus from the second century. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and he, he has a quotation. It's, it's really powerful. It's the glory of God is, is a man, a, hum, a person, a man or a woman fully alive. And, and mm. if you think about that, then as soon as we open ourselves up to practices, like we were, I know you were talking about stepping into something. And I, you know, I said that it's, so it's like, um, that's where the spiritual practices and habits come in. If we mm-hmm. essentially cultivate each day, op- um, the, um, a life of love by opening ourselves up to God's work in our lives, which we do by habits, essentially right. rhythms, you know, whether it's reading scripture or doing centering prayer, journaling, I would say exercise, eating good food, getting enough mm-hmm. sleep, just setting yourself up in a healthy rhythm that slowly allows us then to live into exactly how I was talking about God's will, because you're free, you're free from fear, guilt, and shame. Yep. And so you can literally just be present and allow God to use you as a vessel of his grace to other people. And I mean, and that's what God's will is always going to be. Oh, I like that. That was never described when I was growing up. And like I say, just to reiterate, so many people, myself included when I was younger, feel that God's will is a thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a calling or a thing. And it's, it's not. It's just be this way every day in yeah. whatever circumstance you're in and whatever you're doing. You deal with pastors and professionals. So how do you think it's really important and critical in the today's day and age that it can help with professionals and business owners to have these types of meditative practices? Now, you know, I'm a habits expert, so I'm always about the fact that it's like showering, having a bit of meditation or eating every, she should do it every day. (laughs) Okay. I need to eat every day. I need to breathe every day. I shower every day. I spend time in meditation and gratitude every day because it is a practice for me. Yes. Mm-hmm. How does that help people in, in yeah. their professional and busy lives now? 
it 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 it's essentially it's and this is it's this is playing a long game practice too, right? Because we all know if, if you sit and do centering prayer today, it isn't going to change your life. So even my you know my book is it's uh, that that's the title that Paraclete gave it, and it's a great title. But you know, centering prayer is not going to change your life the first day, the second day, right. the thirtieth day. So it's it's essentially it's as simple as we need to set ourselves up. Uh, day in and day out with with habits that are going to fuel us. I think it like, um, you know, my favorite sport is soccer. And so mm. soccer's got 11 people on the field. Right. When you have the ball, you're on offense. When you don't have the ball, you're on defense. And everybody has to play both ways. And so we need to think about our lives that way. We need offensive practices that form us, that fuel us so that okay. we can show up, whether I'm a business person, a pastor, a parent, whatever, to be your best self. And so spiritual practices and habits would be the offense piece of our lives that we need these practices simply so we can declutter our insides. So our best self shows up most of the time. And Excellent. then the other thing about these practices is what they do is then they push out the negative stuff in our lives, which this is defense, because if you only do offense and you have no defense, you can't win a game. That's right. (laughs) So it also helps us then to cultivate practices of eliminating the things that deform us, that pull us away from being our authentic self. So having a good Mm. rhythm is the best thing that we can do for every other person that we love. And every second that we spend on going deeper into ourselves and mm-hmm. opening ourselves up to God's love. I mean, it, it, we don't lose the time. It, this isn't a time trick either, but that actually just declutters our inside. So it's easier for, you know, like today we're having this conversation, you're very present. Um, I mean, we're able to connect here because all you're focusing on is talking to me and mm-hmm. all I'm focusing on now is talking to you. Yes. And it's these practices that allow us just to be present, not stuck in the past or in some imaginary future. We're just here. And that allows us then to be, I would say our most powerful selves, our most loving selves, our most uh, God centered selves. So that that's why it's important for everybody to do that. It's, and it's not uh It's about transformation. And so we can serve other people. Oh, I like that. You know, it's funny, just it's a bit of a segue. Uh, I had friends over that were in from out of town. And when they came into town, then the friends that live here, they drop in. So this is our circle through all of COVID. And and one of the things my girlfriend Berta said afterwards, she says, what I've noticed now is because we were all constricted down to a smaller group of people. So we all made the choices to be with the people we wanted to be with. So the extraneous sort of went away and the 500 friends on Facebook, I got rid of them all, shut it down. Like I told you on the summer and came back in the fall with just my 350 friends and family and it's all private. And she says, and as well, when we get together, she says it is more, well, it's just more, it is more intentional. We spend the time with each other. We are more present. And she was so right. Yes. We're all going through stuff. You know, my brother-in-law has the brain tumor and one of their mother-in-laws unfortunately is in the hospital and hospice care. My other girlfriend literally within the last two months lost her father from Parkinson's. We have a lot of stuff going on. That's fair enough, but we've rallied to be present and to, and to appreciate that time and, and to just treat it. I guess I I use the term like it's holy because Mm -hmm. it is, we are each other's support. And I just, I I couldn't agree with her more. And it kind of aligned with what you said, just as a a question, where can people get your book? The last one, the centering prayer, I mean, where they can get them all of them, but that one was one we were talking about today. 
Yeah, the best place to probably the easiest place is just going on Amazon. And if you type in okay. Centering Prayer and, you know, that it, you'll probably it's been on the first page. So that's probably easy to find. But Centering Prayer, Russell, Excellent. I mean, you'll it'll come right up. And, okay. and if you want to buy like this person wanted to buy multiple copies, I would go straight to Paraclete Press because they have discounts. If you buy, I mean, for three or more copies, they have varying levels of discounts for one oh. copy. Amazon's probably the easiest and it's on Kindle or paper. So you can get either. Oh, excellent. So, yeah. Okay. Thank yeah. you. I'll, as my guests all know, that'll all be in the show notes, but it's always just nice to hear it if someone's in a car listening. If you had one thing to leave our audience with today, what would you say? The one thing I would say is if everybody listening, if you don't know 100% that you're completely loved by God and that God has your best interests at heart, uh, I would, um, I would suggest kind of taking a couple moments and just pray, Lord, show me your love and maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, pray that prayer, Lord, help me believe the truth about myself, no matter how beautiful it is. And because that's what I would want for everybody listening, because if we can come out of life out of that I'm loved by God. I'm God's beloved. If you don't feel that way, don't give up and keep searching because the God that maybe you haven't met yet is even better than you in your than your wildest dreams would uh, would would paint him to be or yeah or her to be even for that matter. That is awesome. Thank you. Those are amazing words of encouragement. I hope folks that you enjoyed having Dr. Brian with us today. Um, I certainly did enjoy having him as a guest. You, like I say, you can catch everything in the show notes, his websites, and the book will all be there. Have a great day, everyone. And I'll catch you on the flip side. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. Stay connected with us directly through livingwellwithshell.com and Instagram at livingwellwithshell. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through Shelley at livingwellwithshell.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Thank you. And remember, willpower will only get you so far if you don't have a plan.